Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is November the 7th, 2023, a Tuesday. We, over the years we've been, and especially over the, the last few months, we've done a number of shows about the rottenness or what many of our guests and writers believe is the rottenness of American capitalism, particularly American financial capitalism. We did a show with Brendan Ballou, for example, on private equity. He has a book out called Plunder. Uh, we did uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, a show with David Lehner, the economics writer on the New York Times, about the decline or collapse of the American dream and the rottenness of neoliberal American capitalism. But we haven't focused that much on the capitalists, the barons, the people in charge, especially outside Silicon Valley, men like uh, Ray Dalio, um, an American billionaire and hedge fund manager uh, who has served as co-chief investment officer of the world's largest hedge fund, uh, Bridgewater Associates. Dalio seems ubiquitous. He's got over a million point three followers on Twitter. He's not just a, a financial investor and executive, but he seems to write a lot. He's got all sorts of books about himself. Uh, he has something called Dalio Principles. Uh, I'm never quite sure what they mean. Principles in action. He writes about and talks about and thinks about building great teams. I've always been rather suspicious of these ubiquitous characters. And perhaps my suspicion is correct because there's a new book out today called The Fund, Ray Dalio, Bridgewater Associates and the Unraveling of a Wall Street Legend by another New York Times writer, Rob Copeland, who is joining us from uh, Greenpoint in Brooklyn. The book is just out. Uh, it's already ruffled Ray Dalio's feathers. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, Rob. So congratulations on that. You certainly achieved something there. Um, before we get to uh, the dirty laundry associated with Dalio, can he be uh, presented as a pinup boy of early 21st century American capitalism, or is he just an, an, uh, an exceptionally unpleasant character? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And I would say certainly Ray Dalio would love to be portrayed as the pinup boy for 21st century uh, capitalism. What's so remarkable about, remarkable about him as a subject is that over the past 10 or so years, he's just become outrageously famous for these so-called principles, and yet so little is known about his, his hedge fund. So he has, he has this celebrity status now that we tend to give people who just simply are rich. I mean, think of, of Elon Musk, uh, et, et cetera. Your book, and we'll get to your expose of, of, of Bridgewater, uh, you've suggested it's, it might be somewhat of a Ponzi scheme. If it is, wh why would he make himself visible? It, wouldn't it be wise for extremely wealthy people to, to remain in the shadows, to be unknown? Is he just a, a narcissist? Does he want to show off about himself? 
Well, I would say though, though I don't believe Bridgewater is a is a Ponzi scheme. I don't believe that the story that they tell so often about their investing is is the full truth. And Ray Dalio, for the past ten to fifteen years, his his animating impulse has been to talk about himself and his principles, and what he literally calls rules for life and work. He's been a bestseller. He sold five million copies of his book, his autobiography, and it really contains very little. Uh, substantive information about investing, but that isn't to say that him being wealthy isn't important because what he does is he's very careful to say, because I am wealthy, you should trust me. I use these rules to become rich. And so you should follow them and you will be successful. Because I am wealthy, you should trust me. That's certainly uh, something that wouldn't instill a great deal of trust in me. Before we get to the dirty details, uh, Rob, Tell us about this guy. Introduce us, because for most people, we don't know much about him. Where did he start? How did he get to be so rich? Sure. Well, part of the reason why he's his story has been so uh, has has been so popular among people is that he's got a sort of classic American rags to riches tale. He grew up uh, in Long Island. His father was a jazz musician. His mother was a homemaker, and by the version of the story that he tells about himself, he has sort of pulled himself up by the bootstraps, uh, eventually makes it to Harvard Business School, starts a fund in 1975 in his apartment and grows it into the world's biggest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates. So you can see the appeal of what I've just laid out for you. Now that's the version that Ray Dalio tells of himself, but it's not as so often is with characters like this, it's not the full story. Is there, um, is there a little bit of the, uh, I mean, when you say that it's it's not entirely true, I mean, was he of fairly ordinary uh, background? I mean, he didn't grow up in enormous wealth, did he? So he's achieved something. He, he didn't. He didn't grow up with enormous wealth, but he, he leaves out two very important parts of his biography. One is that he ingratiated himself to a a very wealthy New York family that he was caddying for. And he winds up attending their Thanksgivings. So he has, from a very young age, this exposure to, to incredible wealth, which he very rarely if ever talks about. And the other half of that is- Who that was the family? The, the lives. Uh, you, you actually, they're one of those old money New York families that you, you wouldn't necessarily know um, by, by their name. But- uh, I would say the other half is he marries into the Vanderbilt Whitney's. His wife is a Vanderbilt Whitney. So the the sort of, oh, I did this all on my own and pulled myself up by the bootstraps leaves out these two very important advantages that most people wouldn't have. Is there a, a, a Gatsby-like quality to Dalio in the sense that... Uh, nobody ever knows where he really made all his money. I mean, you suggest that then that some of the money came through this very wealthy family and, and much of the rest of it came through um, uh, his wife. Uh, with Gatsby, of course, we eventually learn that uh, most of his wealth was actually achieved illegally. Well, here's what, here's what Ray was better at than anyone. And I'll give him 100% credit for this. He's one of Wall Street's great showmen. He figures out very early that when you're dealing with hyper wealthy people, it's incredibly appealing to tell them that you won't lose them a lot of money. 
that's actually even more of a powerful sales pitch than saying that you'll make someone a lot of money. When you're when you're super rich, and I, I am a finance reporter for the New York Times, so I do have exposure to uh, to a lot of these these wealthy and famous people. Their number one animating concern is not becoming more rich, but staying rich. And Dalio grabs onto that. One of the things that raises my alarm bells when it comes to Dalio, not that I know much about him until having a look at your book and this conversation, Rob, is the hedge fund. We we uh, we talked with, uh, as I said, with Brendan Ballou on uh, private equity, but I've never understood really what a hedge fund is. And of course, uh, uh, mm. Dalio's Bridgewater is a leading exponent of hedge funds. Did he invent the concept of a hedge fund? What exactly is it? He didn't invent it, but he certainly was very early to it, way before it was a term that you or I might use. So what a hedge fund is, is it is essentially just a collection of money. You go out to wealthy individuals and institutions. They give you their money and you invest it for them. What makes a hedge fund different from, say, a mutual fund or a private equity like that book you just referenced is that a hedge fund manager essentially has free reign to do whatever they need to do to make you money. They can go long or bet on something rising in price. They can go short or bet on something falling in price. And once they do that, if they make money, they don't just collect a fee based on a fixed, the fixed assets under management, but they also keep a cut of the winnings. So that can make you extraordinarily wealthy. We are speaking with, uh, I was going to say, uh, I was going to say Ray Dalio, but that wouldn't have been right. Uh, we are speaking with Rob Copeland, who has a new expose of, um, of uh, Ray Dalio called The Fund. Um, Rob, let's get to the dirty details then. I'm, 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 I'm very excited with this. What, what, what's so bad about Dalio? What are you saying in this book that's a, that uh, actually got him to try to stop you publishing the book? What's your expose? So, sure. So Ray has become world famous for these so-called principles. He calls them principles for life and work. And what they amount to is these axioms that basically say, this is one of them, pain plus reflection equals progress. That if you, if you can fight your own suboptimal instincts, if you can fight through the pain, that you, uh, that you will become, a, he literally says, you, you will become successful. You'll become a, a better person. Now, the principles, which he's talked about in TED Talks, he, he did an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow, millions of followers on, on every social media platform. You know, he's become incredibly popular. The expose here is that behind closed doors, Ray Dalio actually acts with very, very few principles. It is, look, it's a tired analogy. I hate to use it, but it is at Bridgewater, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Ray Dalio is the most equal one of all. Uh, is there an Awalia? You you use that quote. You sort of borrowed from uh, uh, Animal Farm, from uh, Orwell's Animal Farm. Is there an Awalian quality to Dalio? There is, because what I just laid out for you, first of all, assumes that there are a fixed set of principles, and the principles actually have for years been ever changing. And Ray uses them, wields them, and weaponizes them. And if he's ever at risk of losing an argument, if someone brings up one of his principles to him, he just makes up a new one. 
and uses it against them. Uh, there's another aspect, that there's another level as we go down this rabbit hole, which is that part of the principles, a core part is something called radical transparency. It means that <laughs> everything should be taped and shown in the open. Now, the theory is that, you know, there can be no secrets and that, you know, the, the best, the best ideas will rise to the top. In actuality, for years, what Ray was doing was taping his employees, making highly edited versions of events and sending them out to, in a way that functionally um, humiliated them for years and years and years. In all of these case studies, Ray Dalio always seems to be the best. So he's essentially the big brother of, of Bridgewater and he runs his own ministry of truth. And the reverse is always true. Uh, his radical transparency is actually obfuscation of everything. Uh, is he, if, if you turn everything on, on its head, uh, Rob, can we get to the truth about Dalio? Is it the opposite of what he says? Is it the opposite of his so-called principles? So one of the principles says you have to be willing to humiliate yourself to get to the truth. And this book is filled with scenes of people humiliating themselves. But very few, there's actually no scene of Ray Dalio humiliating himself. It's other people being humiliated by him and humiliating themselves really for his approval. So Ray talks a lot about truth. Another principle is trust in truth. But I have found in reporting around this firm for 10 years, that there's really two versions of the truth to Ray Dalio. Well, excuse me, I should restate that, that there's Ray Dalio's version of the truth and there's the truth. And Ray Dalio's version of the truth is a lie. Um, how much time we, we were chatting before we went live, you, you noted that you spent a lot of time with the guy. What's he like in person? So I will say I, I've spent many hours with Ray in the past. Uh, as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, just doing my regular job interviewing. He has he can be very kind in person. It can be extremely disarming to have someone, you know, he's worth close to $20 billion. It can be quite disarming to have someone spend so much time with you and to be seeming to be listening to you and giving you their time when they're when they're so important. Um, but what I found over the years is that whenever Ray describes something that has happened or his version of events, it's completely different from what other people in the room tell me and from what, frankly, even the evidence shows. Um, what I would say is at, at one point, I actually went in, I interviewed him. It was supposed to be a one hour interview. It, it seemed to go on uh, for half a day. He just couldn't stop talking. And then after the interview, he posted on LinkedIn a, a big post about me. And he quoted me asking questions I had never asked. He said that I had never walked through the halls of Bridgewater which is kind of funny because I literally walked through the halls of Bridgewater with Ray Dalio. And so it was, it was around that time that I realized there was something perhaps a little, little darker going on here because now it involved me. You know, now I knew now it wasn't someone else's opinion. I could see what he was writing and I could say, well, this literally never happens. And um, well, the book goes on from there. Does he have a God complex about himself? Do you think? I mean, what's uh, what's wrong with this Ray Dalio character? Why can't he just shut up, make his money, spend his money, and enjoy his life? Well, that's a big that's a big question, frankly, about more than just Ray Dalio. 
because but let's focus. You, I, I take your point, but let's focus on Ray Dalio himself. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, does Ray Dalio have a God complex? It is absolutely true that for years inside Bridgewater, Ray programmed everything to make sure that he would always be sort of the most important, the most, the one who won every argument. So I don't see how you can have, I can't say he doesn't have a God complex. At Bridgewater, everyone would carry around iPads and they could take, um, they could take polls at any time. So we could stop this interview right now and we could ask the, uh, the people listening to take a poll on which one of us was sort of holding up our end of it better. Now, when you are Ray Dalio, you are the founder of the firm, you are the head of the firm, and you ask to take a poll of all your employees, and you're one of the choices, who do you think winds up on top? We are speaking with Rob Copeland, the author of The Fund, a man brave or stupid enough, depending how you look at it, to take on Ray Dalio and his principles or his unprincipled. Uh, I want to thank uh, Sponsor of this show, very principled, not unprincipled. Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Excellent new publication. Going to run a short ad for Liberties. And then we'll be back with Rob. I want to talk more details of peeing and all sorts of other things that happen at Bridgewater, which uh, certainly make it an unpleasant place from my point of view to work. So we'll be back in a second. Don't go away, anyone. The dirty details are about to come out about Ray Dalio news the noise there is nuance insight liberties it's not just a journal of ideas it's a meteor of intelligent substance it's the place to be for engaged citizens politics opinion substance liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought a quarterly of urgency of cultural exploration of intellectual delight of immaculate prose it's invaluable subscribe now or find liberties at your favorite bookseller can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Rob Copeland, the author of a major new study of Ray Copeland, or an unstudy, exposing his unprincipled behavior and lack of principle. Uh, Rob, lots of headlines already. The media love this kind of book. Uh, Axios talks about crying stuff, strippers, filthy poems. Tell us about some of this stuff that happens within Bridgewater. How gross a place is it to work? So I mentioned before this radical transparency, this idea that everything is taped and shown to everyone. And one of the, there, and there are some d disturbing parts, frankly, I, I should say. And not one for thing children, that, not for children, right, Rob? This, this book is 16 and up. I actually think it would be a, I actually think it's important for a, a high schooler uh, to, to read this and to know what they're heading into in the real world. Um, but the, uh, there'd be no illustrated version. Actually, Ray made an illustrated version of the principles of his book. I can imagine, for, yeah. That's for another show. Um, so one of these case studies that he makes is, is, him, is him probing, he calls it a probe, is, is him trying to get to the bottom of what's wrong with an employee who's messed up. And he's calling her, uh, he's using profanity and he's spitting at her and he makes this video of he's of spitting him. at her. Well, he's I'm trying to not use for the profanity. He's he spits a profanity at her and oh, spit is flecking from his mouth. And this is all being taped. Now, uh, she sort of loses it. She begins sobbing and she runs out of the room. Now, Ray asks his staff to make a case study of this and to to cut the tape in a way that makes it seem like he's reasonable and that her reaction was unreasonable. 
and he calls this pain plus reflection equals progress. And yes, maybe he was inflicting pain, but after reflection, she could have progress. Now, there's something he doesn't put in that tape, and that's that she was pregnant the whole time. Meaning what? I mean, what's your meaning? Point? He was he was probing a pregnant employee until she started sobbing and showed the entire firm and was very proud of what he had done. Um, Is this typical? I mean, you couldn't. I, I'm certainly the last person in the world to defend Ray mm. Dalio, but is this a typical story from the book or is this exceptional? No, unfortunately, this is typical, but some of them can be quite funny. There's another example of, you know, Ray standing at a urinal and looking down. I'm sure you and I both have had this experience. You look down and, and you realize that there's there's some liquid at, under the urinal. And rather than admit that he might have peed and missed, he, he orders an investigation inside Bridgewater of what's wrong with the urinals. Oh you can just see this man. He can't admit so much that he missed. Um, and this, this is the puddles of pee, how the world's uh, largest hedge fund lost two top hires and was paralyzed by puddles of pee. Exactly. And, that's, and he sends out an email to the firm saying, quote, there's piss on the floor. So this is the world's largest hedge fund. This is supposed to be a place of, of work. Um, and so there's so many scenes like this of in in the book uh, of him just taking this very tiny uh, moment and blowing it into a huge deal and inevitably in a way showing how he Ray Dalio would have done it better than you. So his the P case for it as it was called, it culminates with him questioning you know the head of facilities on what's wrong with the urinals and why does Ray Dalio have to come down from the mountain just to fix the urinals. And no one there can just tell him, Ray, you missed. Ray, well, if Ray, you're watching, you did miss. Um, he's the only person I think we, we've ever discussed on this show that makes Donald Trump seem quite civilized. Do they know each other, Trump and Dahlia? So I don't know that they know each other well. I, I will say there's a moment in the book. I, I try to stay away from too many straight Donald Trump comparisons just because I think we've all heard them so That's many times. That's a bit boring, yeah. But there's a moment in the book where Ray speaks to a reporter and fakes being his own spokesman. And then the he gives it the name of someone else at the firm, says that he was someone else, and then that person gets in trouble for talking to the media because you're not supposed to talk to the media if you're at Bridgewater. So, I mean, that's that's straight out of Donald Trump. That's that is just classic Trump. You know, and I, we, we talked about this earlier um, about on your X page that uh, it's actually your pinned your pinned tweet mm. that uh, so many people and this is from you. So many people have whispered over the years that the world's biggest hedge fund Bridgewater is a Ponzi scheme. After all, Ray Dalio claims a trading edge no one else can replicate. Uh, what if the secret? was there was no secret. Are you suggesting then it isn't a, a Ponzi scheme? I mean, however unpleasant he is, however much he intimidates pregnant female staff, how, how has Bridgewater become so successful? Sure. So it's become so successful because particularly in the early days, he was, he did genuinely have a revolutionary of sorts investment approach. He, instead of trusting his gut, you know, so many traders say, oh, oh I, I figured it out, or they can read the tape, so to speak. Ray programmed, or says he programmed, a set of rules, of investment rules, 
and he claimed that he would follow the rules even if his gut told him otherwise. Now, this is a really appealing sales pitch because remember, if you're a very wealthy person or a very wealthy institution, you don't want to be reliant on one person's instinct and impulse. So he becomes the world's largest hedge fund. And the major question for me for years has been, what are these rules? He never seems to say anything about them. And the fund's investment performance since about 2011 has been just terrible compared to the markets. And many people on Wall Street have suspected it was a Ponzi scheme. I can tell you it's, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but that doesn't mean that it's not a scheme. The idea that Ray Dalio has hundreds of investment rules that he's programmed and that he just trades on those is just simply false. It is not how it works. The heat trial, the, the book is just out. Dalio, surprise, surprise, uh, did not want you to read this book. He tried to stop you publishing. Um, they've already, the CEO of Bridgewater's released a statement. Uh, uh, Dalio's put out a statement. His, uh, his LinkedIn page has responded to the book. What are they saying? And, and how would you respond to their responses? Uh, 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 Rob, uh, Ray Dalio, by the way, if you're watching this, you're more than welcome to come on the show and tell us your side of things. I doubt you will, but it'd be interesting if you did. I'd be happy to be the guest host for that episode. Well, the, uh, <laughs> the look for years, Ray has been attacking me and my publisher behind the scenes. He hired three different sets of law. He and Bridgewater hired three different high priced law firms. They threatened us with a multi-billion dollar lawsuit. I'm incredible. Listen, this isn't an advertisement for Macmillan Publishers, but I'm incredibly proud that they stood their ground. And now that the book is out, really all there is to say is it's all in the book. Ray, can, Ray wants to make this about me versus him. It's just not. All those complaints you just showed, all these letters to the Bridgewater community, blah, blah. What they don't do is they don't talk about the facts because they'll do anything to avoid talking about the facts. Are you happy with the book? I'm guessing that it uh, that the Macmillan lawyers went through it with a a great deal of care. Is there stuff in the book that isn't there that you'd like to have included? So I'll, I'll tell you this: when you know you write a book manuscript, uh, you you finish it up. The Macmillan lawyers told me that it's typically about a two week legal read, and that for <laughs> this one they allotted three weeks. It took it took more than six months. So we really we really buttoned it up. I'm incredibly proud of the book. I, I would say, uh, listen, Ray has told the version of his story over and over again. He sold 5 million copies of his book, Principles, Life and Work. I believe that I have written the first nonfiction book about Ray Dalio and the principles. Might it have been better, um, Rob, if you wrote a novel, did a Fitzgerald, did a Gatsby? I mean, in some ways it would be more believable. That's, that is the problem with many Bridgewater stories is, is they're so wild that you almost have to say, okay, Rob must be exaggerating here, right? And that's what I went through with the lawyers. Um, we actually were not exaggerating. In fact, I left things out of the book. But the, I think the truth is better than fiction sometimes. Because if I wrote this character and I told you what really happened, I think you'd pan the book and you'd say, you're not living in the real world. You'd say, there's no way people would put up with this, right? There's no way people would do this just for a paycheck. And the answer is they did and they are. 
Did you have a lot of sources within Bridgewater, people who would speak to you without, of course, revealing uh, and uh, 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 off the record? Sure. I mean, I spoke to people inside Bridgewater, people who are still at Bridgewater. I spoke to people who have left Bridgewater. I spoke to, you know, people whose friends are at Bridgewater, people whose spouses or their ex-spouses are at Bridgewater. I, I did everything I, I possibly could. Um, and I'm incredibly confident in the facts here. And those attacks that you just showed on me, they just show how honestly desperate they are because they they don't have the facts to stand on. Well, it's impre impressive that Dalio is, is defending himself. I mean, usually in these situations, they simply ignore it and you go away. But clearly you've ruffled their feathers. What What is it about what you've done, do you think, that's so upset Ray Dalio? He just simply cannot accept any kind of criticism? He's one. Well, first of all, he claims in the principles to be able to accept any level of criticism. Yeah, but, surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, exactly. A shock there. Um, I think what's happened here is he has spent so many years being unchallenged in his version, his alternative version of reality. And everyone at Bridgewater, right up to the C-suite, everyone knows that Ray's version of reality isn't true. The only person who seems to not know that is Ray. And I hope he'll read the book um, and I hope that it will hopefully teach him what, what the world is like through everyone else's eyes. I hope he'll read the book too. I mean, he, he clearly has. I know you, you think that your book is slightly different from some of the other business biographies that have just come out. Michael Lewis has a book on Sam Bankman-Fried, Going Infinite, uh, um, and Walter Isaacson, who's been on the show before has a new book out about Musk. How does your book differ from the Musk book and the Sam Bankman-Fried book? Sure. Well, first of all, my book is about a hedge fund, but I, I think of it as so much more than a business book because of the whole cultural nuttiness of, of Bridgewater. I would say if I had written this book by sitting in the room with Ray Dalio and watching what he did and writing down what he did, that, that would have been interesting, but it would have only been you know a fraction of the story. You have to follow people out of the room. You have to see how how they've reacted when you know Elon Musk or Sam Bankman-Fried isn't isn't there. I actually quite enjoyed both of those books you you just mentioned, but I wouldn't say that they are they are the true panoply of of perspectives around those two figures. There, it's a story heavily told and heavily filtered through the eyes of the subject. It is much harder, but I believe much more interesting to tell a story that uh that shows you you know the 360 degree degree view finally uh rob i know you've got to run um sam bankman fried is going to jail probably for a very long time 20 or 30 years uh musk isn't in jail yet maybe we'll end up in jail or in a madhouse he seems a rather odd character what should happen to dalio i mean where would you like this story to end? In his public humiliation, in recognizing that his principles are actually the reverse of how he's lived his life? Would you like to see him go to jail? Would you like to see all his money taken away or be uh, all his friends and associates disassociate themselves from him or, or Bridgewater disassociate themselves from him? Well, I would say unlike Ray, I honestly don't, I would get no pleasure out of his humiliation. I. I only not even a, a soupçon, Roy Rob. I think you would. I would. I think most of us would. We'd love. I don't think I could admit such a thing while being threatened with multi-billion-dollar lawsuit. Let's put okay. It that way. Well, I would uh, admit it. And Ray, you can sue me if you want. I don't. Mind. Fair enough. The what I will say is what I would like. I would challenge Ray and Bridgewater. 
if they're so angry about the book, just release the tapes. You have all the recordings of everything that happens in the book. Just let us see them. Just release let the, the world. See, well, <laughs> there you go. That's a good rallying. That's crotch. the uh, that's that's going to be the lead. Uh, that's going to be the uh, subject of uh, of our thing. It's it reminds me of Richard Nixon. Rob, is this uh, is this the new Watergate? Uh, well, let's release see if this tapes, book. Ray. I don't think I'm Woodward and, and Bernstein. I think I'm some guy sitting in his apartment in uh, in Brooklyn. 